episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months of their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at leno.com slash ifreaks. Hi, welcome to the iFreaks show. This week, it's just me, Guy Rambo, from Brazil, and we have our guest, John Sandow. Yeah, hi, I'm John Sandel calling in from Poland. Wow, from Poland. So how's the weather in Poland right now? Uh, it's getting pretty cold. It's uh, Winter is definitely coming, as they say. Uh, it's getting darker and colder, but uh, it's uh, still okay. Uh, you can still go out for a nice walk during the day without freezing too much. So basically the reverse of here, here it's getting lighter and hotter. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should go spend my winters down in uh, South, South America. Yeah, it's pretty cool here. So, John, uh, tell us what you do. Uh, give us a brief introduction. Sure. So uh, my kind of main day job is uh, being an iOS freelancer. I currently work with a Norwegian agency called Hyper, uh, where we build uh, customer projects as well as some in-house apps as well. But what most people probably know me from is my weekly Swift blog that is called Swift by Sundell. Uh, it's uh, a weekly uh, thing where every Sunday I post a new uh, post about Swift development or different techniques and things like that. And I now also do a podcast, which you've been on uh, a couple of episodes ago, which was uh, really great. And uh, yeah, then I do a bunch of open source and yeah, I work on a, quite a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, and I think like your blog is very interesting. Uh, I noticed it a long time ago that it looks like you try to cover uh, little tricks and, and tips that um, some people don't realize you can do and then you come up with them. Is that a fair? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have this thing that I do where as I'm working on different apps and projects, whenever I come across something that I find, you know, kind of I raise my eyebrow eyebrow a little bit or, you know, I think, oh, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if I can do this. And I usually write all of these ideas down and then eventually I open up a playground, I try it out in more detail. And if I figure that this is something worth sharing, if it's a small thing, I usually just post it to Twitter. Uh, or if it's a big thing, I write a blog post about it. So it can be anything from, uh, you know, how to organize your code, you know, using things like different patterns, architecture things. Uh, and it can also be things like doing animations in creative new ways or, yeah, things like that. And now you have a uh cool new project. Uh, I, I know you've been working on it for a while and it's called Imagine Engine and it's a game engine for uh, primarily iOS, but now it runs on the Mac. 
thanks to a very clever developer I know. Uh, <laughs> so can you tell us about uh, what what it is, what what you can do with Imagine Engine? Yeah, as you said, Imagine Engine is a game engine uh, written in Swift, and it's targeting uh, all of Apple's platforms now except for the watch. Uh, no watch support yet, but iOS, macOS, and tvOS. And it's built up uh, on top of core animation, uh, which I think is pretty interesting. And I think we can dive deeper into that uh, later, like why it's on top of core animation. Uh, but the primary focus of the project is to create kind of a game engine that uh, is both really fast and has really good performance for 2D games, as well as uh, have an API that makes it easy to use and makes a lot of these like tedious tasks that you have to do as a game developer uh, a lot easier. Uh, so that's kind of the idea behind the project. And as you, as you said, I've been working on it for quite a while. It's been kind of like a side thing that I've been doing for, for a couple of years now, like two years uh, ago I started it. And now it's open source, so anyone can contribute to it, which is uh, pretty exciting. Would you say your goal is to have a Swifty game engine? Yeah, definitely. Uh, both in the terms of uh, of the API itself and making it like feel really nice and swift, uh, but also Swifty and the terms of, of speed as well. <laughs> so yeah, both yeah. both both things. Cool. So, what kinds of uh, interfaces do you provide? Like, uh, how do I use Imagine Engine? Does it do the rendering? The logic, where does it like help me with making my game? That's a good question. Um, so the API of the engine is structured around like a set of core objects. So on the kind of top level, you have a game object, which uh, basically runs your entire game. Uh, it's kind of your entry point. And there's also a couple of convenience classes around that that give you a view controller, for example, to uh, render a game. So you can just create a game view controller uh, and put your content in there. And then all of your content is kind of structured around scenes. So uh, if you think about each level of your game, for example, it could be a scene, or you could have a scene for your game over screen or for your menu uh, or the start screen. So that's kind of how you can group uh, the different parts of your game. Uh, you can kind of think of it like um, if you've not done game development before, it's kind of similar to how you would structure an app in different view controllers. So every different screen of your app has a different view controller, pretty much. Uh, and then you fill your, your scenes with, with content. And uh, for that, there are kind of three uh, core objects. There's uh, the actor type, where uh, you can add like active animated objects uh, to your scene. And Probably most of your objects will be actors, uh, everything from your player to coins you can pick up to uh, enemies, etc. They're all actors in your in your scene. Uh, and then there's also a label uh, type, a label class that you can use to yeah, add text, just like you would with a UI label on iOS. And then finally, there's the block type where you can add like big blocks uh, of, uh, of tiled textures. For example, if you are building a platform game and you want to have your platforms and you want them to be able to stretch uh, gracefully so you don't like scale up the texture, but instead you like add new textures to to kind of tile, tile the platform, that's when you would use the block type. Uh, so 
yeah, those are kind of the, the, the basics, like the core. And um, then Imagine Engine does the rendering itself. Like it makes sure your pixels get onto the screen using uh, core animation. And it kind of runs the game and then gives you back different events uh, depending on what you ask for. Cool. So very comprehensive API. And I think many people uh, pro are probably asking themselves, uh, why would I use Imagine Engine instead of something like SpriteKit? Yeah, that's a very common question. Uh, you know, it's very uh, natural and understandable that people want to compare it to, to SpriteKit, for example. Um, so I want to start off by just saying that I love SpriteKit. I think it's awesome. And I definitely don't want the conversation around Imagine Engine to just be kind of Imagine Engine versus SpriteKit, because SpriteKit has a lot to offer uh, that Imagine Engine doesn't. But there are some things, some trade-offs that SpriteKit makes in the way it's structured and the kind of uh, target audience it has uh, that Imagine Engine can probably you know, provide some kind of different alternatives too. So for example, um, if we just go back kind of to the reason I, I made the engine, um, I think that kind of answers this question where I was using SpriteKit a lot, like uh, building many different game prototypes and different things using SpriteKit. And uh, I, like I said, I, I think it's awesome and I really enjoyed using it all the time. Uh, but there was one aspect of it that I kind of didn't like, and that was the fact that it was uh, kind of hard to predict how it would work when uh, being under pressure. So if you're adding like lots of content to your to your game, like let's say you have like a big game where like a strategy game where you have lots of units that can move around and you can pan around the camera and the level or you have like lots of action going on like spaceship flying around and shooting asteroids or something. Uh, I had a very hard time uh, figuring out or working with SpriteKit in a way where all of a sudden it would start like dropping frames and you would get kind of uneven performance characteristics from it. And because it's not open source, because it's closed source, uh, it was kind of hard to figure out sometimes what was wrong. And that's kind of when I first initially just started poking around different other engines and looking into things uh, to kind of try to figure out how a game engine really worked under the hood. And that kind of exploration uh, under over a couple of years uh, actually led me to kind of create this, my own engine as a kind of just experiment to begin with. So I think like, to answer the question, what it can offer is primarily being open source and being like an actively developed project in the community and also like a really nice uh, Swift API for building games. Yeah, I think that's an aspect of open source that is often overlooked, how it helps you actually understand how things work and maybe tweak things so I can go and change like how it does its rendering if I need to and it's all there it's all open I think that that's a nice advantage of open source yeah absolutely I mean you're you're the kind of person you love to dive under the hood right and you will even look in places where you're not supposed to look <laughs> but but uh, you know most people including myself you know kind of where my 
efforts to investigate something usually kind of stops at the source code level. Uh, I love open source because that gives me source code access. You know, if, if there's, like you say, if there's, you know, a problem with the rendering in Imagine Engine, well, you can look at the code. There's kind of no, nothing hidden from you. Uh, if there's something that you notice is slowing your game down, you can step through it, you can debug it, uh, you can profile it. And that for me is so valuable, especially when it comes to building things like games. Because one thing I really love about building games is the fact that it can be quite challenging, where when you're building an app, uh, like a normal app, whatever, whatever it is, Normally, most code paths that you are writing are not super performance sensitive. They will maybe be run every time you click a button or in view will appear or something. But when you're writing a game, a lot of the code that you write is actually going to be run every single frame. So that means running at 60 frames per second uh, or even on the iPad Pro, 120 frames per second or 120 times per second. So a lot of the code that you write, especially in the engine, is so performance sensitive. So being able to debug and profile that is just so valuable to me. Yeah, you, you talked about normal apps and I have something that uh, I, I'll call it performance anxiety. Uh, <laughs> I never heard the term, but every time I work mainly on apps, I don't really do games, but every time I have to write something that's performance sensitive in an app, I get really nervous, like, oh my God, this is going to make the device get warm and explode and I have to. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a different mindset when you're dealing with methods that are invoked like hundreds of times Per second and so you talked about how it works with core animation i i think many people might not really know what core animation is can you explain briefly what core animation is yeah absolutely so uh core animation is the underlying graphics framework that powers all of apple's UI in all of their platforms. So on iOS, you have UIKit, which is your kind of top level UI framework. And on the Mac, you have AppKit. Uh, and both of those, even though they're different in so many ways, and they are, um, they provide different kind of APIs on the, on the top level, uh, they are both powered under the hood by core animation. So on iOS, each view, each UI view has a CA layer, uh, which is Kind of backing it. It's kind of all of the things that you actually see on the screen are not rendered by the view itself, but actually rendered by its layer. So the layer is like the the rendering uh, context, if you will, of the of the view. On macOS, it's a little bit more complicated, but for the sake of simplicity, we can just say that <laughs> that most most modern uh, UIs on on the Mac are actually also. Uh, rendered by layers. So this is core animation uh, doing the work. It's, um, it's, it's an animation and graphics framework for, uh, for Apple's platforms. Yeah, and like it's focused on being very performant and allowing out-of-process rendering even. Like for, I, I know some stuff on iOS does crazy things with rendering out-of-process and yeah, they have some really big op optimizations for each hardware and each GPU. So, so that's like the 
uh, all of the UI, if your UI is performant on macOS or iOS, you have to thank Core Animation for it. And, yeah, exactly. And you, you built Imagine Engine on top of Core Animation. So how does that work? Is each object uh, backed by a layer? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can kind of look at it if you look at the kind of uh, stack. You can kind of look at it as... Uh, it's exactly the same as UIKit on iOS, but instead of having UIKit on the top, you have Imagine Engine. So just like UIKit uh, uses core animation under the hood, uh, which in turn use, uses Metal, which is uh, Apple's uh, GPU uh, API, like a rendering API. Um, so um, Imagine Engine uses core animation under the hood um, the same way. So each uh, object that you have on the screen is, like you say, it's a layer. Uh, which can have uh, different types of layer subclasses depending on what it does. So if it's a label, it's a uh, CA uh, text layer. And if it's a um, an actor, it's just a normal CA layer. I think people don't understand how powerful car animation can be. Uh, I had some tweets a while ago talking about the archival of CA layers to files and how you can basically have baked animations that you ship with your app in, in your asset catalog and you just load them at runtime so you don't have to like use Paint Code or Kite or some of those tools. You can basically have uh, an animation that runs on your app that comes from a, a file and is rendered at runtime. And that's all powered by core animation. Core animation is really powerful. Another cool thing you can do, and maybe we could uh, implement something uh, that leverages this for Imagine Engine, is you can use AV Foundation to render a core animation animation to video. So you can overlay core animation layers with video or, ju or just like render. A, a car animation to video? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's extremely powerful and it has so many APIs. It's, you know, it's crazy. It's, uh, it has everything from, you know, doing really powerful, high performance um, animations that, you know, most of it that it does, it runs directly on the GPU. So it has like a very, very low uh, CPU overhead, um, which is great because it's very energy efficient and uh, it doesn't require you to kind of spawn up new graphics contexts in your, in your game or in your app uh, because it's just like a normal UI view that has a CA layer um, but you can have multiple CA layers as, as children of that views layer. So yeah, there's so many things you can do. And, uh, you know, in most apps, uh, that I worked on core animation is kind of used to maybe like crop a view where you're setting like clips to bounce, or maybe it's, uh, using, you know, setting the border radius or adding some shadows and, uh, core animation can do that as well, but it can do like so much more. It's, uh, it's really amazing how how much it can do. And once you start exploring the API, you kind of just realize that the UI view is really just kind of a, uh, just, just, just the API level and most of the heavy lifting in terms of the, the UI and the graphics are, are done by core animation. Just as an example of the, how powerful they can be, all of those 
iMovie templates that have like um, albums and little images floating around. Those are all powered by Core Animation, and they yeah they render they they overlay your video uh, with the Core Animation layers and render that to to your video. So it's really powerful. So, but Core Animation is powerful and efficient, but it's not magic. How do you make sure that your code is fast? Uh, are there any tricks you use? Yeah, so there are a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is really that you have to kind of start from having performance as a core goal of your project. So when I was working on Imagine Engine, uh, most of the time I wasn't actually running the game, I was profiling it. I was running the profiler and, and instruments a lot more often than I was running the actual game just in the normal simulator. And I think it's important to have those that mindset sometimes when you're working on these more like performance sensitive uh, parts. Um, because one change that you make could end up, you know, causing drop, drop frames. And this is something you really don't want. So from the beginning, my goal was with Imagine Engine to always, uh, you know, whatever happens, uh, try never to drop a frame, like always render at 60 frames per second. So the mindset part there and having that as a goal is, is very important and using the tools like, like instruments to, to make that happen. Uh, but on a code level, it means that you need to have as low CPU overhead as possible. So you can just have the CPU run the game logic and then just dispatch over to, to the GPU through core animation. So you don't want to spend a lot of time doing heavy stuff uh, on the CPU. And in order to do that, you need to really think about the complexity of everything you do. So... Again, while you're working on a on an app, you might, you know, you, you don't really care whether an operation is, uh, you know, uh, linear in complexity or if it's uh, exponentially complexity unless it reaches a certain uh, a certain volume. So, for example, if you are if you have like a list of of contacts that could be like thousands of contacts, then you might care about, you know, how you sort that or how you filter that in an efficient way. But if you have something like a couple of, uh, of labels or something that you're just sorting, you can just, you know, do dot filter dot map or, or something in Swift where you don't really care so much about, uh, about the complexity or about like how, how performant that's going to be. But again, like, like we discussed earlier, when you have a game engine and you just want your code to run as quickly as possible, so it can run on every single frame without dropping a frame, uh, you need to just, everything you do needs to be basically just uh, constant time or maximum linear and complexity. Uh, otherwise bad things will happen. And you have to take into account that you're writing an engine, so people are going to write code on top of that, and that code is going to add complexity. So the engine must be really fast. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. 
and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Exactly. The, the thing, the goal of the engine is to get out of the way. You know, you don't, if you think about each frame that you have, uh, it's such a small amount of time if you're going to render at 60 frames per second. So you really want the engine to take up as little of that as possible and just give you as much as possible uh, to run your own logic and to do your own, you know, calculations and your own uh, your own things that you want to do in your in your game. You want the engine to just be a, be, you know, just do its thing extremely quickly and then get out of the way. Does Swift help in any way with the performance? Yeah, I think so. Um, one thing that Swift has over, for example, Objective-C is that it enables uh, static dispatch. So in Objective-C, everything uh, is dynamically dispatched. And what that means is that when you're calling a method on an object or in Objective-C sending a message to an object, uh, that gets what actual function gets run, what actual code gets run, it gets looked up in a big table. So the runtime has to go into this table and check uh, where should I find the actual function implementation for this method. While in Swift, Swift can also do um, dynamic uh, dispatch. Uh, but if you apply some uh, some kind of techniques to your code, like for example, making your classes final, using value types, using protocol-oriented programming, uh, you can enable static dispatch, and that way, a lot of things can be inlined by the compiler, and a lot of things can be dispatched in constant time directly. So you end up with a much much lower overhead uh, for all your all your function calls and all of your code, basically. And yeah, Swift can really help in that way, uh, both on the API side to make a really nice, easy to use API, but also on the kind of uh, under the hood side of, of making things really fast. Yeah, I remember doing something back in the day, uh, in my time. Um, <laughs> uh, I was I don't remember what it was, but I, I remember having to resort to C, like doing something in C. Because ob the obviously dispatch was too slow, and it yeah. was slowing down. So uh, it, it is incredibly fa fast, but it's not fast enough for some stuff. And yeah, exactly. You know, with, with Swift, you can leverage all of that stuff you you talked about. So yeah. currently, you support iOS nine or later, mm -hmm. macOS ten point twelve, or tvOS ten. Did you start thinking about supporting multiple OSs and how hard was it to actually make it work on other OSs? Yeah, so um, I definitely started out um, with the goal of being available on all platforms. But um, 
it wasn't obvious to me uh, in the beginning kind of how to make that happen. So initially, my idea was to use metal because I started this project like metal had just come out like it was in the iOS 8 era. So metal was brand new and it was really exciting. And uh, for those of you listening who who don't know what metal is, it's kind of Apple's replacement for OpenGL. So it's the uh, framework you will use to program the GPU. So most of the code we write as Swift developers is programming the CPU, uh, while with Metal you can program the GPU. So you can write shaders, which is programs that uh, run on the GPU. And so that was my initial idea to to use Metal. So I started out, I wrote, um, I started writing kind of the engine and I was writing the rendering code in Metal. But then I realized that you can't run Metal in the iOS simulator. So the iOS simulator does not support Metal. And I really like using the simulator for development. Uh, if, if I can help it, I don't want to have to plug in a device all the time. I mean, now you can do wireless debugging, which is cool, but back then you couldn't. And still even I, I prefer to use a simulator as much as possible. So I realized I'm going to have to have something else. So that's when I started playing around with core animation as kind of a fallback in case metal is not available. And then eventually I realized that core animation is actually fast enough. <laughs> so that's when I kind of switched to using that completely. And uh, because both metal and core animation are available on all of Apple's platforms, um, it was, it was uh, kind of clear that of course I should support all the platforms, but it's easier said than done because some, there are a lot of differences when it comes, especially to, to kind of how the Mac works versus tvOS and, and iOS. Uh, one just concrete example is that the Mac's, uh, coordinate system is, has its origin in the bottom left corner. So when you say that you want something to be on position zero, zero, that means the bottom left instead of the top left, which it means on, on iOS. So things like that were kind of uh, things that, you know, eventually, uh, I had to work around and, you know, you helped me out with the, with the initial port and that was awesome. And, uh, yeah, so it was definitely kind of, I didn't realize how I was going to do it in the beginning, but it kind of came from using this more low-level things which are available on all the platforms anyway. And then it was just the terms of how to make that work on the API level. Yeah, I remember the like weird part of parting for the Mac was the display link stuff because yeah. on iOS you can just use CA display link and and that's fine. But on, on the Mac you have to use CV display link, which is lower level, so you have to use a C function pointer for a callback. Uh, it, it gets tricky. Uh, and since I mentioned, uh, can you explain uh, what the display link API is, what it does, and, and how it's used in Imagine Engine? Sure. So the display link API, which is CA display link on iOS and CV display link on the Mac, like you mentioned, uh, it's a way for you as a developer to get a callback each frame. So every time the screen refreshes, uh, which is 60 times per second on on most devices, uh, sometimes it can be 30 on if you have your Mac connected to some projector external display, uh, and it can be 120 on the new uh, iPad Pro. So every time the screen is updated, you get a callback, and then you can run your logic. And Imagine Engine uses this to basically 
uh, update the game state. So every time there's a rendering, like every time the screen updates and Core Animation has finished rendering a frame, Imagine Engine updates the game state so that the next time Core Animation is ready to render, it has a fresh new state to render. So let's say you are moving one of your game objects across the across the screen. Uh, you want that to be very smooth and you want that to, to get an update every frame. And that's what CA and CV Display Link uh, make possible. I noticed that you do tests for the engine. How does that work? How do you test a game engine? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, I use tests quite a lot. And um, the reason I do that is a lot of the times when I'm working on something new uh, for Imagine Engine, uh, I'm doing it, I want to do it in a kind of headless way where I don't have to build a game to test this new feature. I can write it uh, in a test and I can actually uh, verify that it works as expected. And I can do that a lot faster because I can just run the test super quickly and just you know make make changes. So that's the way I'm working in most of my open source projects. I do this kind of TDD-ish way of development. Uh, I don't do the strict TDD, but I use tests quite a lot as a tool. And um, so in Imagine Engine, like you say, it, it can become a bit tricky because how do you kind of test something that is very visual by by nature? Or yeah, um, and the way I do it is basically to test the logic. So since I'm using Core Animation, uh, I get so much of the kind of rendering side for free. I don't have to worry so much about pixels ending up on the screen because that's what Core Animation does. I just tell it to, you know, take a layer, make it a certain size, set a certain background color, uh, set a certain image as the texture, and then off it goes. So what I have to verify is that the engine logic works as expected so that the right uh, kind of code paths are run and the right result is, comes out. So that is actually highly testable. So if you have something like a move action, I can create the action, say move from, let's say, move from position 00, zero to, to position 100 by 200. And then I can fast forward that action um, Let's say the let's say I'm saying that the action is going to take four seconds. I can fast forward it two seconds to the to the middle point, and I can verify and assert that it's that the object is now at the right coordinates. So that is kind of very nicely easily testable because it's just input output. So that's kind of how I also structured the entire engine to be have, a, have as little state as possible in order to both be more predictable and easy to use, but also way easier to test. Are there any games out there we can play that are made with Imagine Engine or are, are there any in the works? Yeah, so you can sign up for the beta of one of my upcoming games. That is, it's now in public beta. Uh, it's called Revazendo. Uh, it's a space asteroid dodging game. So you play as a little spaceship and your goal is to avoid asteroids and stay alive for as long as possible to get a high score. And this is something I'm actively working on, and I'm planning to push a new beta, uh, you know, pretty soon. I was actually working on it right before we we jumped on this on this podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's in public beta, and you can sign up. We can put a link in the show notes to where you can go to get the get the beta, and um, then eventually it's going to be available on the App Store. 
So that's going to be probably, if no one else beats me to it, uh, because anyone can build a game now, that's probably going to be the first uh, game on the App Store using Imagine Engine. Make sure you send me the link so we can add it to the show notes and I, I want to sign up for the beta as well. Sure. Yeah, it's on test flight. So you sign up, then I run a little script and send you a test flight invite and off you go. Cool. So one aspect of games that's very important is input. The user has to control the game somehow. How do you handle that? Uh, do you have some sort of normalization of input between platforms so I can make the same game work on tvOS and iOS and macOS? Do I have to handle those separately? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, like you say, it's kind of what sets a movie or animation apart from a game is that the user can actually control it. So that's super important. And normally what you have to do if you're using uh, SpriteKit or uh, just writing a game against Metal or something is that you have to handle all the input differently on different platforms because on iOS, you might use touch controls. On the Mac, you might use the mouse. And on tvOS, you might have the Siri remote. So uh, what Imagine Engine offers in this uh, aspect is a unified event API, which I think is kind of probably the most interesting part of the engine is how you kind of script your objects and script your game and how you handle inputs. So on every actor, and on the scenes and all the other objects, there's this event uh, property. And this holds a collection of events that you can observe. So if, for example, if you have your player and you want to say every time the screen is, is uh, tapped or clicked, I want to move the player to this location, then you can just observe the clicked event on the scene. And then you get the point that was clicked and you can just tell the actor, your player, to move to that position. And the cool thing is that the, the event is called clicked, but it works on all platforms. So on tvOS, that will be triggered when the user clicks the Siri remote. On iOS, it will be when the user taps the screen. And on the Mac, it will be when the user clicks the mouse. So you can just subscribe to one single event and you get all these platforms you know, for free, which is pretty great, I think. And the, the cool thing, so I mentioned before that I am um, making a new game called Revisendo for, for all of these platforms. And um, the cool thing is that the game code of Revisendo works completely cross-platform. Like the, the code I've written for the game, it doesn't have any of these, like, you know, if OS is Mac OS, then do this. Or if it's this platform or if the user is, you know, controlling with the mouse, uh, it's all the same code. And I think this is pretty nice because when you're designing your game, you don't want to have to like scatter this platform specific code all over the place. You just want to be able to write something that's easy to read and easy to understand. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of what the event API offers. There's lots of talk around about iOS app architectures. And uh, I think that's a topic that's discussed a lot. But how about game architectures? Uh, how do you architect your your game? Are there patterns you usually have to employ? Uh, how does that work? 
Yeah, they're just like in uh, in app development. Game developers also love to argue about architecture. <laughs> you know, that, I think that's everywhere. Like how to structure things, how to make easy things easy to understand and easy to maintain. So there are a couple of different patterns that are very popular on uh, uh, in game development. So one of them is the component-driven architecture. And this kind of is a, has a different meaning than when we talk about apps, because when we talk about apps and we talk about components, it usually means something visual, like a UI component. Uh, while in games, a component is usually just a piece of code. Like it can be a script, it can be something like a behavior, it can be uh, an actor or something visual, it can be a plugin, or it can be many different things depending on which engine you talk about or you know what it is. Um, and Imagine Engine is somewhat structured this way. Uh, it's because it has a plugin API. So what that means is that you can implement your game as many different small parts, and then you can put them together. So let me give you a, a concrete example. Uh, in the game I'm building, uh, there's a game over screen. So when the user collides with an asteroid, uh, the you know ship explodes. You you basically there's a game over, and I want to display like a game over screen with uh, some stats like your your score and uh, and a little animation. So the way I implemented that was as a plugin. So what happens when you when there's a game over when the when the ship collides with an asteroid? I just attach the game over plugin to the scene. And then that gets activated and that adds all the game over content. And then when the user clicks the screen again to start over, that plugin is just removed. And that means that all of the game over stuff is just removed. And that is a pretty nice kind of metaphor to use as a kind of architectural pattern where just like you would uh, try to separate and modularize your code in an app, you want to do the same thing in a game so that things become more reusable and you can potentially also use the same code in, in multiple games. So if I wanted now, now that I have this game over code as a plugin, uh, it means that I can attach it to any scene of my game. So if I'm making multiple levels and I want to have a game over feature in all of these levels, well, I can just add that plugin. So it's very, very modular in that way. And that is normally referred to as a component system. Um, Imagine Engine doesn't have a full-blown component system because there are also some trade-offs when it comes to that that I didn't want to make. Mainly, usually when you have a completely component-based game engine, it means that you have to give all of the components, like all of the objects that are in the game, an update on every frame. So if you have 10,000 uh, objects, you have to update all of them on every frame. And to be able to achieve this like really high performance, I didn't want to do that. So it doesn't have a full-blown component system. Instead, it has the event system, which enables you to observe events that happen. And then it has the plugin system to add your own logic and inject it uh, whenever you want. So the second uh, major kind of way to structure a game is to... Uh, drive most of the logic of your game from a central kind of update method. So this is the way SpriteKit works, for example, where you subclass the SpriteKit scene, which is called skscene, and then you override an update method. And in this update method, you get access to the current time, uh, like the timestamp of, of, of that frame when it's being rendered. And then you can just drive your logic from there. And while this is not as modular 
and nice as like a component system, uh, it gives you a lot of freedom and it can potentially also give you a big performance boost. So since we don't have to iterate over all the objects everywhere, we can just run one method. We can perform all the game logic in one method. Um, it can be pretty fast. But as you can probably also imagine that um, it's kind of like what can happen in your view controllers. If you put all of your logic in your view controllers, it can become the massive view controller. It's kind of the same thing here. Uh, if you have one place where you put everything, it can become quite messy. So that's kind of when I started designing uh, how Imagine Engine would work. I kind of wanted to have the best of both worlds. I didn't want to have a full-blown component system because it doesn't scale nicely with a large number of objects. And I also didn't want to have just like one place where all the updates take place because that can be what kind of messy. And this is where I ended up with this event system that just updates your logic whenever it needs to and the plugins that enable you to uh, modularize your code and inject it wherever you need it. As they say, the correct answer is usually at the middle. So I <laughs> yeah, you made the right choice there. So I hope so, yeah. Should we get to picks? Let's do it. Let's do the picks. This episode is brought to you by Gamefly.com. Gamefly has over 8,000 new releases and classics available to rent for Xbox One, Xbox 360, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, PS Vita, Wii U, Wii, and 3DS, as well as older systems. As a Gamefly member, you can rent as many console or handheld games as you want and get them delivered right to your mailbox for one low monthly fee. If you like a game so much that you don't want to send it back, you can keep it for a low used price. There are never any due dates or late fees. Gamefly also offers the ability to rent Blu-ray and DVD movies as part of the regular service at no extra charge. They're offering a premium three-day trial for free. That's one game out shipped directly to you with a pre-addressed envelope included for easy returns. No contracts. Cancel any time. You can get this 30-day free trial at GameflyOffer.com slash devchat that's gameflyoffer.com slash devchat for a 30-day free trial okay what do you have for us this week so as you can probably imagine uh-huh <laughs> uh <laughs> my pick is going to be game related so i've been playing a game uh lately which is called super mario odyssey uh it's the new mario game from nintendo on the nintendo switch and it is just amazing it is such a great game uh i've been playing it now for like 20 25 hours since it came out and i've just been enjoying every single second it is just so good uh so that's definitely my pick if you either have a switch or i would even say if you love games but you haven't bought the switch yet uh go get the switch and go get super mario odyssey because it is so great i have a huge problem i've seen all videos of super mario odyssey and it, it's awesome like i want to play it but i have a serious issue with consoles because uh it's there's usually one game that i would play but i'm not a huge gamer person i i, I don't spend much time playing games so i know that if i actually get the console it's going to be used very little <laughs> so i think like i'm wasting money uh it happened with uh, gta 5 um <laughs> yeah. i i wanted to play it so bad 
and uh, I, I'm not gonna buy a Switch just to play. <laughs> I know it's gonna end up not uh, being used a lot. So, but yeah, the, the game looks really nice. Yeah, and I mean, probably maybe you can uh, borrow some of your friends' Switch or something and just play the game instead of having to buy it. But you know, I will say, so when Zelda came out and the Switch came out and a lot of people were talking about Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild for the Switch and people were you know, asking themselves, like, is this worth buying the console for? And I would say then, like, probably not. Like, if you're only interested in one game, like, don't buy a console, you know, because it's not so cheap. Like, don't buy console for just one game. But now there, there are a couple of, like, a couple of kind of must-play games, so... I don't know. It's, uh, you know, either try to borrow it or maybe pick up someone, some switch on a sale or something, because it's, uh, it's really great, great stuff. And the cool thing about the switch also is that, you know, even if you're not a gamer, uh, it's just so great because it's portable. So someone like me, like I'm traveling a lot, it just goes with me everywhere I go. And I'm like playing Mario Kart on the, on the plane. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's really clever the way they they done it with the you can attach it to a TV or you can use it mobile. That's really cool. So yeah. my pick is a, a fun pick as well. Um, it's a, a self pick because it's <laughs> something I'm working on. Uh, I made this little app. So let me just pick the concept an emoji. Okay, we have to talk about an emoji. Um, <laughs> it's this huge thing that I, I, many people thought no one would care about. And I think even Apple didn't think it would blow up uh, as much as it did. And, but there's, and I think that's why we have this issue that currently natively an emoji can only be recorded in the messages app for 10 seconds. And the only way for you to save uh, a video from an emoji and upload it somewhere other than iMessage is to send it to someone or record your screen. So I decided to make this little app. It's called An Emoji Studio and you can use it to record an emoji and you can record them for as long as you'd like. You can lip sync to Spotify songs. And there's a bunch of cool stuff in there. You can customize the background color and I'm still working on it. Uh, I am probably going to add a bunch of cool features and it's open source. So if you have your iPhone 10, have fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it looks really, really cool. Uh, I'm so happy that you're doing that. It's, uh, you know, like you say, I think an emoji as a kind of concept and the whole like animoji karaoke thing that is coming out and people are like reenacting scenes from movies. It's awesome to have a tool like that, uh, like you built uh, to just not be limited to the kind of 30 seconds, but to, to do it or 10 seconds, maybe even uh, to do it for whatever length you want. Yeah, sure. So thanks, John. Th thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Okay, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, we will. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.